The children are dismissed at this time for preschool play and worship and children's church. And the rest of us have the task of preaching and receiving a 35 to 40 minute sermon in 10 minutes. Remember those old micro machine commercials with the micro machine man who talked really fast? Do you guys remember those? I wonder if I could do that. I'm going to trust in the Holy Spirit to, you know, he, he gives me the words to say. Hopefully he'll give me the words to not say so that I can, I can preach this sermon in the time allotted. Um, we're going to be in Mark chapter 9. You can go ahead and find that in your Bibles. Mark chapter 9, this is a continuation of last week's sermon. Um, it was going to be one sermon that expanded so much I had to make it into two sermons. So this is sort of part two of what we talked about last week, those who were with us. And if you weren't with us last week, that's okay. I'll make sure you can pick up with us where we are. Um, before we do get into the passage, I want you to consider this quote. It's actually two quotes back to back as a way of getting our minds into the, the space that we need to be to think about the passage we're going to read uh, this morning. So here's the quote. We are all starved for the glory of God, not self. We are all starved for the glory of God, not self. No one goes to the Grand Canyon to increase self-esteem. Why do we go? Because there is greater healing for the soul in beholding splendor than there is in beholding self. Indeed, what could be more ludicrous in a vast and glorious universe like this than a human being on the speck called earth standing in front of a mirror trying to find significance in his own self-image? The created universe is all about glory. The deepest longing of the human heart and the deepest meaning of heaven and earth are summed up in this. The glory of God. The universe was made to show it, and we were made to see it and savor it. Nothing less will do. Which is why the world is as disordered and dysfunctional as it is. We have exchanged the glory of God for other things. I don't know about you, but for me, that quote rings true uh, from God's word and from my own experience. Last week, we saw the disciples get a glimpse of Jesus' divine glory. It's called the transfiguration. That was Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 8. This week, we're going to see what happens next. And we'll actually zoom ahead, and Tom, if you can find it there for the projection, to verse 9. Last week, we saw the disciples get a glimpse of Jesus' divine glory. And we talked a great deal about his glory This week, we're going to see what happens next. Let's read together Mark chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. And as they were coming down the mountain, where they had just seen the transfiguration, Jesus' glory revealed, Jesus charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, 
why do the scribes say that Elijah, why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Now last week pa- week's passage was mysterious and bizarre, and I think that this week's passage is a bit mysterious and bizarre as well. All this stuff about Elijah at the end, what is that all about? Well, we may get to that. Um, but we're going to focus more on the front end of the passage. The disciples had seen Jesus' glory revealed in different ways throughout this whole book of Mark. Mark is one of the biographies of Jesus in the Bible. just tells the story of his uh, coming to earth, his life, his death for our sins, his resurrection. And so far, the disciples have seen his divine glory revealed in his authoritative words, just how he spoke with God's own authority. They've seen his glory revealed through healing sick people miraculously, casting demons out, amazing God-authorized teaching, other miracles like walking on water. And then they just saw the most spectacular and clear display of Jesus' glory when he was transfigured before them and became bright and uh, all that that you can go back and read from last week. And then what happens next? In verse 9, they come down the mountain. On their way down, Jesus charges them to tell no one what they had seen. Don't tell anybody about the transfiguration. Don't tell anybody about my divine glory. Now we, Meredith and I, and many others that work at ACGC here, and Will Boston... We just had the opportunity to go to the Cove in Asheville for ACGC leadership training. I don't know if, has has anybody been to the Cove? This Billy Graham's training center in Asheville? Okay, not not too many people have. It's beautiful. It's ridiculously beautiful. Okay, from the, just the setting up in the mountains, the setting is beautiful. The facilities themselves are just grand and just really well done. Huge windows everywhere, tons of light pouring in. Impeccably clean. I've never been to any place to stay overnight that is as clean as this place was. It was unbelievable. There was a soft serve ice cream machine just sitting there in the lobby. Just sitting there. And you could just get as much as you want. The food was amazing for every meal. At every door, there was this really sweet, some some really sweet volunteer or staff member that would make sure you had everything you needed. It was, in a way, glorious. It was glorious. It was heavy with goodness, if you remember last week. Sort of what glory means, just heavy with goodness. And you know what? We've been telling people about it. The cove never asked us to tell people about it. We've just been telling people about it. The cove never encouraged us, you know, tell your friends. Because it was so heavy with goodness, we just naturally have been telling everybody. While we were there, we were texting people. You won't believe how nice this is. Taking pictures so we could show people later. 
And once we got home, you know, our family members and whoever we saw were just telling about this great experience we just had at the Cove because it was so heavy with goodness. It was so glorious. We naturally wanted to tell people. This is natural human behavior. When you experience and enjoy something glorious, something heavy with goodness, you naturally want to tell people about it. It might be a really cool video game, a really good movie, or a really pretty sunset, or something really cute or funny your children did. C.S. Lewis argues that our experience of glory is incomplete until we tell someone about it. That telling, sharing it with people, closes the loop. It completes the enjoyment of the glory. It's perfectly natural. Now, up until this point, Jesus denies people that completion of their experience of his glory. He's constantly silencing people who otherwise might go and tell of his divine glory. I had some examples, but for the sake of time, I'll just encourage you, go back and read through the first chapters of Mark and look at all the times where Jesus silences people. Tells them, don't tell anybody. You know, I, I used to work in marketing. If you could get word of mouth going for your product or company, it was great. You would never want to stifle it. You know, I worked at a photography studio. We did everything we could to get people to tell others about us. We would give them free stuff, whatever we could do. And yet Jesus, instead of a sign that says, please tell your friends, has a sign that says, tell no one. If this all was going on on Facebook, if his ministry was on Facebook, his privacy settings would have been limited down to just 12. Even in the transfiguration down to just three people. Until. And that's the key word in the middle of verse 9. He charged them to tell no one what they had seen until. All the times that he silenced people, he never had an until. He never scheduled when they could begin to speak. But this time he does. Until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So you think of it like a rubber band. Okay, if you ever shot a rubber band, you, know, you put it on your finger or whatever, and you pull it back, 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 and you let go, and it shoots, and it's the tension that enables it to fly. It's as though with every miracle and every authoritative statement, he pulls the rubber band back on his glory a little bit further. With every healing, with every demon cast out, with every step as he walked across the water. And the tension must have been unbearable. Can you imagine how much the disciples wanted to go tell everybody what they had seen? If you had seen Jesus transfigured on the mountain, would you not have been dying to go tell people? And he told you, no, don't tell anybody. Until I'm raised from the dead. And the resurrection is like one last pull. And then after the resurrection, then you can tell. What happened up to Mark 9 is the exact opposite of what we experience. Up to Mark chapter 9, people experienced Jesus' glory and were charged not to tell anyone. Then after the resurrection, everyone who experiences Jesus' glory is charged to tell everyone. Everything changes. In Mark sixteen fifteen. this is after the resurrection, Jesus tells these same disciples and his other disciples, 
go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. That's so comprehensive. He limited it to 12 or even the three. And now everybody needs to know. The rubber band has been let loose. Not just the surrounding villages go into all the world. Not just in whisperings, proclaim the gospel, herald it, preach it. Not just the twelve, the whole creation. Post-resurrection disciples went from observers of Jesus' glory to messengers of Jesus' glory. Post-resurrection disciples, followers of Jesus, are no longer observers of Jesus' glory They are messengers of Jesus' glory. And we are post-resurrection disciples. Therefore, we are messengers of Jesus' glory. Now, this is very important. And I want to make sure you hear me on this. And I'll close with this. Even though it's only one quarter of the way through my planned sermon. I'll do my best to close with this. I believe that God is telling us as a church to obey the Great Commission. I believe God is telling us as a church to obey what he says in Mark sixteen fifteen: Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And now at first you might say, well, duh, of course. But think about it. Are we? Are we obeying the Great Commission? Is your pastor obeying the Great Commission? Are you obeying the Great Commission? Are we as a church obeying the Great Commission? Not in some general way, but in specific, tangible ways. Not in some figurative way, but in literal ways. Not with lip service, but with real hard work. Are we making this our job? Everywhere I've turned lately, God has put this in front of me. At the leadership retreat, in my theology class, the paper I wrote ended up being all about this. Uh, Every time I've written an end-of-year report for our business meeting, my weakness here and our weakness as a church here has glared back at me. Yeah, I think that we're, we're pretty good as a church in regard to nurture. And what I mean by that is I think we're pretty good at building up the body of Christ. I think we're pretty strong when it comes to teaching. I think we're pretty strong. Uh, I think that we are worshiping together. When we come together more and more, I sense that we truly are worshiping together. But I think we're really pretty weak on the Great Commission. I think we're pretty weak on witnessing evangelism missions. Now, I don't want you to hear this as condemnation, but invitation. Uh, I am absolutely not saying you guys are weak on evangelism. Some of you are quite fruitful in evangelism and I praise God for that I'm saying I am weak 
on evangelism. I am weak in regard to the Great Commission. I am weak in regard to missions. I am weak in regard to witnessing. And I have been weak in how I've led you in regard to these things. And honestly, I don't feel condemned about it. I'm not beating myself up in front of you. Uh, There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. He doesn't love me because I'm an awesome pastor. Thank God. He loves me because I trust in his son, Jesus Christ. So my sins are forgiven. I'm his son. Uh, I don't need to do better at missions to earn his approval. I have it. Um, And you don't either. This, This is an opportunity for us. And I think perhaps it's okay that we've been more focused on worship and nurture. You know, when I began the church, the church had recently split. And maybe it was his will that we be just getting on our feet for these years. But I really believe now he's ready for us to move forward. I really do. And I'm, honestly, I'm very excited about it. And I have no idea what that means or what it will look like exactly. I know personally some things that it definitely means, some people that he's put on my heart that I have to share the gospel with. And honestly, I'm very, very frightened to do it. Uh, some, some because they're relationships that are close to me and I'm going to go on in relationship with them even if my attempts to share Jesus with them blow up in my face and it's extremely awkward. You know, I'm not natural at wanting to go and engage with people. Matt mentioned being an introvert, and honestly, I feel that I'm somewhat of an introvert. But God's given me some personal applications here from from the fact that we're post-resurrection disciples commissioned to proclaim Jesus' glory. But he's only given me one application for us as a church. There's one step that I feel clear that the Lord would like for us to take as a church here. And it's nothing groundbreaking. It's nothing innovative. And I would, I've considered how to present this to you, and I don't really know how. I'm not, I like to teach you the Bible and trust that the Holy Spirit will use that to animate the body. And we'll do what God wants us to do naturally. It's hard for me to tell you, here's what we're going to do. But I really believe this is what the Lord wants us to do. I think that he wants us to use our Sunday morning prayer meetings toward evangelism, missions, and witness. That's it. That's all he's really shown me. I really think he wants us to start there. Every Sunday morning, 9 o'clock, I sort of facilitate a prayer meeting. We've been meeting in my office. And I've shared this with him the past couple of weeks. I really think that that time needs to be set aside to praying our way into being a great commission church. Now I want to invite you all to come and join us. Now I've decided we're not going to meet in my office anymore. We're going to meet in the choir room from now on to make space, Lord willing, for more to come and pray. Maybe no more will come and pray. Maybe it'll be the same band of people, six to a dozen people. Maybe that's the Lord's will. But in there we will pray. And I don't have time to flesh out biblically everything behind this there's a lot biblically behind starting here but we will pray that the lord would would enable us to experience his glory first and foremost so that like these disciples our natural instinct will be to share it and we will pray for the lost people in our lives for the lord to save their souls 
We will pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers, to send other Christians around these people to share the gospel. We'll pray for boldness like the believers did in, in Acts. We'll pray for the Lord to open our mouths and gives us, give us boldness and opportunities and wide open doors to proclaim the gospel to our family members and our neighbors and our co-workers and our friends and our acquaintances and our strangers and all across the world. We'll pray that if he wants us to do anything additional other than just personal evangelism. In my mind, I think it would be an amazing step forward if these Sunday morning prayer meetings became an outpost where we all, after all week long, proclaiming the gospel, come back together, share our war stories, lift each other up in prayer. But maybe he has more for us. Maybe there's some other specific endeavors he would like for us to do together. I don't know what they may be, but we'll ask him together. And I trust it will show us. And maybe he wants us to get more engaged with world missions than just giving offerings at Penny Crusade time. Maybe he wants some of us to go. I don't know, but we'll ask him. And I want you to come. I want you to pray with us. I want you to come next Sunday at 9 a.m. and pray with us. It's not that early. It's not that early at all. It might mean a couple of hours here at church together. That's not so bad. That's good. Since we've started praying more focused on the lost in our normal prayer meetings in my office, I shared with the people who prayed this morning what I'd like to do. And one testimony came up right away that one person that we prayed for, the brother of someone who prays with us, we lifted up this brother who doesn't know and follow Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord and pray for opportunities. And uh, that brother called the individual who made that prayer request out of the blue the following week. And that's out of the ordinary. Man, maybe we would start to see all kinds of stuff like that happen. So I wish I could give you all the scriptures I've lined up here. But I'm not going to. I'll put it on the blog. You can read them there. I think you know anyway that God wants us to pray. I think you know that he wants us to evangelize. And I'm not even going to tell you what all this is about Elijah. <laughs> even though I did all that research to try to figure it out. I'm not going to tell you because it's already past our time. I'll put it on the blog. You can read it there. Or I can talk to you about it anytime. I love you. I hope you know that. I'm very excited about the next season of our, of our life together as a church. Um, come and pray next Sunday at 9 a.m. in the choir room. Come and pray. We're going to close now with a closing song. Use this opportunity to begin praying now. If you want to come pray up here, if you want to pray where you are, if you want to just sort of make this song your prayer, we'll begin praying now and we'll pray together. And I'd like to close our sermon time with a word of prayer before we do sing. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. He is glorious. We don't have to make him seem glorious. He is glorious. And I ask that you would help us to, to know, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. Lord, let us experience his glory this week. Lord, bring us to your word so we can hear from you and experience your divine glory.
It may evangelism and missions and witness become completely natural for us, a natural outflow of our direct experience with you. Well, please do this among us in Jesus' name. Amen.